0: Hi, and welcome to the Equestrian Podcast. I'm your host, Bethany Lee, and this is episode 106. Our guest today is one of the top grooms in the world, and she has some amazing experience, amazing opinion, and amazing expertise. So I'm so excited to have her on the podcast today for us to all learn a little bit more about grooming and about her life. She has worked alongside eventer Philip Dutton for years now, and they have been to countless Olympic Games, World Equestrian Games, you name it, with so much success. Also, if you want to hear more about Philip Dutton's life, he is over on episode 95, so make sure you go listen to that one too. Anyway, this lady is amazing. She's also an author of the book, World Class Grooming for Horses, The English Rider's Complete Guide to Daily Care and Competition, that she wrote alongside Cat Hill, and it is absolutely incredible. It has so much information for any type of rider in the industry. So without further ado, let's hear it from our guest today, Emma Ford. Thank you so much for taking the time to come on the podcast. Not a problem. You've actually reached me at a good time in the year when I'm on a little bit of a break. So, Oh, amazing. A breather is always nice. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it definitely is at the end. It's
1: been a crazy year for everybody, so yeah. it's nice to have a, be able to relax a bit. <laughs> exactly.
0: Yeah, I mean, talking about you on a break, I give you so much credit being having your role as a groom and doing your job so well i have dabbled in that you know growing up and i'm like oh my gosh i do not know how some people do this you're in and you're out it is <laughs> such a hard job and you really have to love what you do to keep grinding through it, so I give you so much credit. But I would love to hear your story—how you first got into the equestrian world and what that kind of looked like.
1: Yeah, well, I don't know if you can tell, but I'm from England. I grew—I basically grew—I grew up on a farm and I grew up with horses. Both my parents rode. My dad was actually a master of foxhounds, so I was probably on a horse whilst my mum was riding—you know, pregnant with me. Mm-hmm. So, very, very fortunate. You know, lifestyle, I wouldn't have changed the way I got bought up for anything. And I have a sister, and we both started riding, and she fell off once too, one too many times, and I did as well, but I kept going <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I came up through Pony Club, I fox hunted, got my B test. So I've always, always been the person sort of loved and enjoyed taking care of the horses, turning out my dad's hunt horses. And they always, from the very beginning, it was very much will obviously help you take care of the horse but you have to be part of the process there was never a time when they're like yes we'll do it all for you Mm -hmm. (laughs) sure and obviously even just coming from the farming background itself you know just taking care of animals in general like you don't get to the end goals if you don't take care of your animals so that was very much instilled in me and I actually did more show jumping than I did eventing my really through my dad my dad didn't like the idea of eventing in that it was unsafe and Mm -hmm. the one time I the pony club team asked me to do their eventing team I did actually fall off and get flown off in a helicopter so (laughs) (laughs) it probably (laughs) you know cemented that but I was actually fine they were just being very cautious Uh (laughs) Um, anyway needless to say I did a lot of show jumping my dad just found this horse that funnily enough I was not you know, I sort of said no to him. And then my dad, I, one day I came home and my dad was going look in the stall and there he was. And I mean, he, of course, my dad was completely right. And he was the best horse in the entire world. I could do anything with him. So yeah, so he, he, that horse retired. I went to university. He retired sort of whilst during, whilst I was at university. And then I had never left England. I'd literally been to Euro Disney for two days in Paris. I was just like, I want to, before I go into the real world, you know, I just want to go travel. I want to get out of England and see what else is out there. But I also really wanted to do the horses for a year. And I fortunately just found an advert in Horse and Hound that like got your visas, your J1s, and they set you up on a work experience type situation in America, which I definitely wanted to go to English speaking. I wasn't up for really going anywhere non-English speaking. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I ended up working, going to Apple Knoll Farm in Millis, Massachusetts and working for Adrian Iorio. And that year has turned into, where are we at now? 22 years. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So when you, when you were at
0: school, what was, what was the idea of what you wanted to do once you, like you said, go into the world world?
1: Yeah. So I was definitely I I was always animals, and I'd definitely been encouraged to keep horses as a hobby. Yeah. So I wanted to go into, in England, it's called the Ministry of Agriculture. It's the same as the Department of Agriculture over here. And I wanted to be, like, helpful to farmers, and it was, looking back, if if you said, oh, you have to change something, that's probably what I would have changed. Like, I didn't really... Maybe get the best advice or research it properly. Like it would have been a, you know, it's one of those jobs that comes about every sixty years because whoever goes in, it stays there till they retire. Sure. (laughs) So it it would have been a very hard path, but also just the way you know things have changed in farming. It's got so much red tape, and Mm -hmm. it wouldn't have actually been a path. I think I would have enjoyed because I think it would have turned into not necessarily working with the farmers, but just being like, "Hey, got to do this, got to do this." So you know, things work out for a reason, right? Definitely. Absolutely. So tell me
0: a little bit about your first experience heading over across the pond to
1: Massachusetts. (laughs) What was that like for you? It was nerve wracking. So that was the first time on a plane. Wow. And when I flew from London into, I had to fly into um, JFK and then get a flight to Boston. And that's, we landed in, I landed in JFK and there was a storm coming through and they lost all my luggage and (laughs) I had to get on the next flight to Boston. And it was like the last flight out and we were late. And I can remember I called home as an England home and I'm like, Mom, help fix this. <laughs> She's oh. like, what do you want me to do from England, you know? Yeah. And um, eventually it all, worked, it all worked out and, you know, communications were as such. You know, you didn't have cell phones, right? Mm-hmm. So it was crazy. And I can just remember that first, you know, I got back to Adrian's farm and the next morning I had no luggage. I literally went down to the barn. I had a skirt on because I travelled in into- <laughs> 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 you skirt. Know, you know, unfortunately I wasn't a size that you couldn't just put any, you know, I wasn't just going to be able to borrow Adrian's clothes or anything. And it just, I don't know, it was in March. So there was snow on the ground and everybody was just amazing. It was a boarding barn, a school facility, you know, Adrian's parents were there, and they were just so welcoming. And really, from that first day, I just, I just loved it. Like, wow! Uh, and there were so many horses. And you know, through time, Adrian started out with two event horses there. And by the time I finished with her in seven years, I'd worked there for seven years. We had like tw- a string of twelve horses. And wow! I'd been to Blenheim and flown with the horse, and then we'd done Kentucky maybe three, four times. I can't remember. Mm-hmm. So we really did grow together, and. Yeah, it was actually the trip to Blenheim that cemented where my, I wanted to go and that mm-hmm. I wanted to be involved in the team. And I definitely wasn't going to do it riding. And that was it. Was that trip that I said, okay, well, this is this is what I want to do. Amazing. Uh, yeah, it was. It was cool. It
0: was when cool. you moved to the U.S. and you started working for Adrian to start, how did you feel like as far as the tools you had in your toolbox of how prepared you were for the job. Did you feel like you had a pretty good grasp of all of the tasks that you were needed to do from the start? Did you feel like there was a big kind of like adjustment period? How was that?
1: I was pretty fortunate. And this is where it's a huge push for Pony Club. Having come up through my bee, like everything on the ground, I really think they had cemented with, you know, my toolbox, basically. Yeah. Obviously, Work ethic is probably something I would put as number one that you need. And my parents had certainly cemented that for me. I had all through, I'd either worked at the local riding school or the local um, livery yard barn or the, I helped out with some point-to-point of races. So I'd sort of done a lot of the work. So I, I would say I was very fortunate in that I was very much an all-round person and could turn my hand to anything. Adrian did want me to teach the younger kids which was definitely something i had done with the pony club like i had taught the d, d rated students. sure it wasn't something i enjoyed so that was a big stretch for me and adrian was really sweet and you know she'd been me the sort of new coming, coming in five year olds that wanted to ride their pony for the first time, so, (laughs) you know, it was easy to teach them, and what I loved about her program, she was very much, like, the first two lessons were on the ground, teaching the kids how to tack up and groom their horses, Mm -hmm. and so they weren't just there and put on the saddle of that pony, they were there, and, you know, I said, if you want to do this, you need to learn how to do this, and, you know, how to actually take care of your horses first, so that was very cool being in that environment.
0: Tell me a little bit about a memory like a, a significant horse show memory, maybe one of your first that sticks out in your head as far as you know that kind of adjustment. Because uh, I mean, I'm sure there was obviously adjustment, you know, culture change, all of that moving to Massachusetts. But then once you started, you know, helping out at the shows and doing some more significant venues, how was that transition for you? I
1: think honestly, because as I say, we started off with the small number of event horses. Uh-huh it was quite a smooth transition because it was going from your local shows. And obviously we, as I say, we really did grow together. So there was always a stepping stone, you know, up through Adrian writing advanced. And, you know, I do remember this is years on, but I can remember when she first got listed to one of the training sessions Mm -hmm. and just being, you know, we were around David and Karen O'Connor and these were all idols in my mind, right? (laughs) Yeah and Philip and obviously Philip wasn't doing the training sessions then but you know that was when Kim well she was Vinosky back then but Severson, you know she was teaching the training sessions and it was just I can just remember being very like wow this is cool Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm surrounded by these these people that yes I'd seen on screen but I hadn't actually seen in person yeah and the more advanced we got then I got to know you know, more advanced grooms and I always say even even now you can never stop learning. So I'd always be like, oh, look at you know, what mm-hmm. what's that person doing and why are they doing that? And how things have changed through the years and taking on more knowledge. So I wouldn't say there was any one dramatic, you know, i would never felt like mm-hmm. I was like, oh, I'm out of my debts because we did right. through those levels together. So.
0: that's nice. That's nice yeah. that it was that, yeah. that you were placed into that situation. That it was a situation where the, the progression was the same in all areas of the program so you were there for you said seven years
1: yeah yeah I worked um, there until 2005.
0: Okay so then what what spurred on the transition then from Adrian?
1: Honestly the way at the time we had done the Blenheim Blenheim trip in 2002 I think it was because it was the same year as the Worlds in Hareth and from that point on that was I'd say that was the trip that I was like wow I want to I want to be on the team, be on the mm-hmm. team. And so when there was a job opening with Philip, I was like, well, if I want to do this, <laughs> wow, you know, that's, that's the, you know, person to go with. And I was good friends with his old groom Colby at the time. And she, she really encouraged me. She's like, you want to do this? Like, you know, go, go do two Olympics with Philip and, you know, just experience it and, you know, you'll learn so much and stuff. So, Yeah, I approached him and that's where the story started. (laughs) Wow. Where I mean, was that so intimidating? Were you
0: like so nervous?
1: (laughs) I actually did it the sneaky way. I spoke to his groom at the time and said, hey, I'm sort of interested. Uh (laughs) And she's like, let me go and ask Philip. And then she came back to me and she's like, yeah, Philip's interested. (laughs) Oh, good. I love
0: it. (laughs) What was that transition like for you going from your previous job to then working for Philip?
1: Yeah, that that was a pretty big transition because... At that stage of Adrian, I we had sort of moved into. I was just doing her event horses, so you know anywhere from twelve to fifteen horses. Mm-hmm. And then I get to Phillips, and at that stage in his career, we had we would be anywhere from forty to fifty-two horses in the bar. Wow! And all you know, two-thirds of them were competition horses. The rest, you know, they might have been three or four-year-olds that were coming in to be broken or stuff mm-hmm. like that. So. For me to, you know, I wasn't afraid of the work, but just to say, okay, this is a serious like organization, organization nightmare, I should think. <laughs> <laughs> but I was so fortunate that a long-term groom of his, Sarah, she stayed on until, I feel like she was there until to the end of 2006, 2007. So I had a good time under her to sort of fathom out you know how to organize things, and she—I did my first Kentucky with Philip. She came, and you know, so I learned through her, which was really good because I wasn't then just thrown in the deep end figuring out how Philip wanted things done. You know, she was like, "Okay, right." She could. So I've been very, very fortunate that way to sort of have a have someone to follow. <laughs> right, right.
0: Because I feel like a lot of things. There's a lot of things that are okay. This is how you do it. But then there's a big chunk of things where it's really preference. Yes. And you really will only know until, you know, they tell you how they, you know, how they like it
1: yes is, is that every rider has their own you know own way of doing things you've got some riders that you know they want to put on their own polar wraps and put on mm. their own ride or, and you've got other riders that are a little bit more hands-off at competitions and they're more focused you know they need to be more focused mentally and you know I'll always say Philip's very good because he doesn't micromanage he wants to know what's going on but he doesn't micromanage yeah um so that, that's I find to me I think that's very helpful like he knows I'm obviously do the best I can for the horses, but when there's a problem, obviously he uh, is the first person I go to, so.
0: Yeah, amazing. What is a normal day, or maybe maybe a week leading up to a competition, what does that kind of look like for you and the program? I try and keep everything
1: the same, like you don't want to be changing up a horse's routine, so mm-hmm. Philip has his schedule of what he wants the horses doing, so <clears throat> there's no real drastic changes in our routine I always say sort of for me the the crunch I'm always thinking about say it's Kentucky you know 10 weeks out from Kentucky is when I really start to say okay well what's the shooting schedule are we mm-hmm. going to be right or are we going to be wrong or you know even from shots to worming to legend and Alicorn series like right. all that has to be you actually start at the competition and work backwards because you all that needs to be at the maximized for the Mm -hmm. horse's potential so when it comes to the horse themselves I yeah I don't actually change anything I'm just trying to be more you know you have to be so on top of what I like to say is what's normal for the horse is the horse actually normal Mm -hmm. Um, to be honest I think we cause more problems by stressing the horses out from our what we do abnormally (laughs) right (laughs) so but then you know obviously Prior I'm always like double checking stitching on tack, or you know is the brass extra clean <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> or you, know, um, you know so the small it's the small details that I think changed probably the last week, you know just making sure everything's top notch clean and you know everything's in order and you don't you haven't forgotten something. <laughs> mm-hmm which is always
0: the case. <laughs> yeah. Right. I know. I was like, when does that not happen? <laughs> so let's say the morning of a competition, like the start of a weekend or the start of the first couple of days, what, what does that look like for you? How early are you up? What kind of things are you doing?
1: Yeah. So again, depending on when we compete, I try and keep it, things very similar. So simply like their feeding routine, like I have some horses that get uh, gastricard guard before they eat and I like to feed them alpha hay and gastricard half an hour before they actually get any grain so mm-hmm. their stomach's lined. so I have to take that into account of when my morning starts and then according to when you know Philip wants to ride I know that I need to get the horses out and walked before then and it dep- uh, so much of it depends on the venue you're at so like a try on there isn't much grazing you know you're just going to be walking a horse but at Kentucky you can get the horse out and do a lot of grazing you know mm-hmm. and then then it depends on you know your horse I've got one horse that as soon as I get to the barn I have to take him out for a walk because he is used to night turnout and just, uh, yeah he'll be at the door like banging but if I take <laughs> him out for a 10 minute walk I can put him back in his stall and he's totally distressed you know wow. but that's what that horse needs and and that's what I enjoy about the bigger competitions. I get to spend more personal alone time with the horses individually and really fathom out, you know, I can't always do that if I've got six, you know, horses at one competition. So
0: Right, right. What's normal for you, the, the number of horses you have?
1: We're definitely three to four would be normal. So, but at the FEI, you know, at the five-star level, two would be normal. Right. Amazing.
0: Thanks to our sponsor, Trafalgar Square Books. We have a plethora of equestrian literature to choose from over at horseandriderbooks.com. Whether you're looking to fine tune your riding or learn a new training technique, read an equestrian novel, or learn about neuroscience of horsemanship, you can find a book that suits your needs over at horseandriderbooks.com. Trafalgar Square Books does an amazing job of finding equestrian authors to really find a perfect book for you, no matter what you are learning or wanting to accomplish in your reading. So make sure you head over to horseandriderbooks.com and take a look at their hundreds of equestrian books. I don't know about you, but once you take a look, you are going to want to go through all of the collection. So thank you so much Trafalgar Square Books. All right, let's head back to the episode. What are some of your tips that you would have for either a horse owner or someone who is looking to have a similar position as yourself as far as learning more or growing your you know, skill set or your, your tools in your toolbox before, not necessarily before you would start a job, but just in, that, in those beginning phases?
1: Yeah, I think you have to be very open-minded. You can't go into a barn and just think oh I I this is the way I do things and this is how it's going to be done right I always you know sort of working students coming up through I always say go don't just spend a week a year with us go and spend a year with another rider Hmm. Um, you are going to learn something new from everybody and you you need to be able to pull information from those different sources and say well I like I like the way this is done I don't like the way that's done and I think that's Very important to be able to put in your toolbox. So I I always encourage people don't don't just. This is someone coming. I've worked seven years and then fifteen years. I think the more you can gain from other people, it's going to benefit you in the long term. But again, stay very open-minded on how, what each horse needs and why one rider might do it differently to another rider. And It's never black or white. There's always a, you know, it's always gray. I say with horses, like yeah. there's no right or wrong, right or wrong. It's always gray. And just be aware of that.
0: That's a really good point. What are some products that you always have with you, no matter what, like your absolute favorite things to use?
1: Okay, so I always have witch hazel wherever I go. Oh, what Um, do you use witch hazel for? Everything. <laughs> I if a horse gets has sensitive skin, I just use it as a spray conditioner on their coats to clean up any dirt, but also it helps to it's a vasodilator. So anything that might be swelling, it helps to reduce the swelling. Wow. It reduces itching. So sometimes you've got those horses that you just so like our horses um, are on straw at home, but then we take them to a show and they go on shavings and they'll have a little reaction. Right. So it's something very simple. And I, I'm, I'm a big proponent of not using anything chemical on the horses. If you don't use it on yourself, why put it on the horse? Mm-hmm. So that's why I love rich haze. I use it on legs as a leg tightening after jumps, you know, jump mm-hmm. you I'll use it in water as a bit of a brace. So yeah, I love my witch hazel. <laughs> you must have a have a
0: place where you buy it in very large quantity.
1: <laughs> yeah, you can you can buy it by the gallon in any nice. like uh, feed store. So yeah, it's it is easy to come by actually. And then what else do I have in my grooming box? I always have some form of Shapley shampoo, and I love. They have a product called High Gloss, which is like a, a sheen that I can spray on their tails to really make their tail shine and pop. Mm. And I put it on all the black points, so I always have something like that. They also do a product called Number One Oil, which I sort of use to sort of like baby oil and apply it on their nose. Mm
0: -hmm. But
1: I also use it pre-clipping and after clipping to make it easier. I use it if I've forgotten who fall, I'll put it on their feet. Smart. <laughs> <laughs> Multi purpose. Um, yeah, so that's that. And what else do anything? If there is a blanket to be used or needed, it, I will guarantee you it's a horsewear blanket. Because I don't think there's any better blanket that fits any type of horses. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> their quality. So if you see any any of my horses in blankets, it'll be some kind of horsewear blanket. Hmm. And I have this little tool called Posture Prep Groomer, and it helps me to. It sort of is like if you use the correct technique, it's like cross fiber grooming. So it helps to release fascia. Wow! Um, so I'm certainly not a masseuse myself, but this tool helps to like release the skin and helps horses to relax through grooming. And so it's a very easy technique. Technique, sorry, that you can use to clean your horses, but mainly to help them get rid of any scar t- or release any scar tissue and tension. Wow! That's so lot. Cool. That- cheap but effective product that anybody can use so that's my
0: other there's a couple there that I haven't really heard of before so that's exciting I'm gonna have to look into them your book world-class grooming for horses tell me a little bit about that process and what made you decide to go into that venture and and that you felt was there for the equestrian industry
1: well, I can't take any of the credit for getting it started. Kat Hill, who I wrote the book with, and it's obviously a good friend, she was the um, engine behind it, basically. Nice. A friend of hers, she had gone and helped teach some working students, and she'd, like, written a playbook, basically, of, you know, she written everything down schedule-wise, what they needed and what they need to think about on a daily routine and stuff like that. And she was good friends with Doug Payne and he had just written his book and Trafalgar had said to him hey we need to do a grooming book do you know of anybody and um, he was actually the one that said well actually Kat has just done this you know and they handed it over and they're like yep this is great and then Kat came to me and was like well what do you think (laughs) you're looking at someone that struggled with English in school. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay. And uh, she was amazing because I am not technology when it comes to computers. I'm absolutely useless. And, uh, I mean, every two days I was probably going, well, I've written this, but I can't, don't know how to get it to you or forward it or <laughs> it raised itself or, you know, so it's amazing our friendship survived actually. <laughs> But no, so definitely all credit to Kat for getting it going. But, you know, all in all, it was, we started it in 2013, and then, yeah, it published in 2015. And it was definitely something in my life that I never thought I'd be able to say, hey, I'm an author of a book. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And um, they're actually, we're actually doing one, another one that's really geared towards eight to 11 year olds. So. Oh,
0: fun! Yeah yeah, we're pretty excited about that. Nice. That's amazing. So in the book, is it focused more on, I mean, is it both daily care and kind of like what it's like at like like horse show care and all of uh, kind of everything in between? The
1: whole idea was we wanted to have something for everyone going from you're a complete beginner and up through professional. So we the book's actually split up into two sections. And the first section is your daily management, care, mm-hmm. health, from bringing a horse into the paddock to how to pick its feet yeah. to chewing schedule, worming schedule, that type of thing. And then the second section is more your showing, and it's actually split for eventing, show jumping, and pure dressage. So, you know, we've done the variety of braiding techniques, how to present a horse for pure dressage as opposed to preventing dressage. Um, Uh So, (laughs) you know, I I like to think I would... I like to think it's for absolutely anybody. when we were writing a lot of it, we wanted it to be we sort of used Cat's husband as the pre, as the proofreader because we'd be like, <laughs> "Hey, you don't know how to do this. Uh-huh. If you read this, could you go do it?" <laughs> Perfect.
0: Exactly. And
1: um, yeah, you know, and that's sort of, you know, the the how we sort of put the book together. And obviously it's very full of amazing photos um, that Cat's sister-in-law has done and she's amazing, but the best thing about it was she was not horse related at all hmm. so when we did the photos it was I was you know we could be like hey this is what we're trying to show mm-hmm. and she's like oh if I did it this way I would understand yep um so having someone non-horse re- horse related was actually a huge bonus um, wow to have that's so cool out.
0: and then yeah. when is your when is your
1: next book out it's the end of next year, but unfortunately COVID is tampering us a bit. Sure. To get the photo sessions done, we wanted to actually do it in the summer, but then New York had very strict um, mm-hmm. uh, restrictions. So we actually, I think it might be a bit delayed because of COVID. But Got it. We'll get okay. there.
0: Yeah. We'll get so is there. it's currently in the works. <laughs> yes. yes. Amazing. That, well, that is super exciting. What would you feel like? is an area of the industry that you are really passionate about that you feel like the rest of the equestrian community either doesn't know a lot about or doesn't talk that much about?
1: I am very passionate about what I consider whole horse health. I think that the USA struggles a bit, especially in eventing, to keep horses at higher levels for a long time. If you compare European horses... You know the number of horses that have done five stars they have done multiple five stars if you look at this you know this our same level of horse you know we might only get two or three four stars uh, five stars or championships out of them whereas go oh, and compare the europeans you know that you're seeing that those horses come back through championship after championship right and i truly believe we need to be looking more at when it comes to veterinary work when it comes to physio physical therapy, when it mm-hmm. comes to barrier work, it really needs to be an integrated approach. And we need to have that subtle, you know, when the subtle changes start, we need to be figuring out why earlier on. Mm-hmm. Um not just, oh well, this foot is changing shape, you know, where is right. the whole moving differently? You know, like, oh well, let's fix the foot. Well, we'll never fix the foot if you don't, you know, what's created the change. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I truly believe that's that's uh Area we need to move forward if we want these horses to you know do more championships and and more five stars and basically longevity have longevity in their careers you know
0: right and and is that what you would say is the main difference between as far as in this regard for kind of the the long-standing horse career between outside of the U.S. and within the U.S. what would you say is the main difference
1: my again this is completely my personal appearance sure preference. I think sometimes over here, we have our horses going advanced too early. You know, horses' bodies aren't fully, fully developed until they're eight or nine-year-old. And I Mm -hmm. mean that as in their bone strength, bone density, you know, muscle structure. And I think when you have horses going advanced as eight-year-olds, you're opening them up to, what's the word I'm looking for, but weaknesses later on. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you've got a 10-year-old doing his, you know, doing his first four-star, five-star, I think they are a lot stronger. And that is why you don't see sometimes our horses last last as long. You will hear a lot of talk about footing. Mm -hmm. Um, And again, my personal view is, I think we've almost gone too far to good footing in the States. Uh And the fact that, yes, obviously it's, it's great if our horses can work on footing, good footing, but if you go to an event and you have to run, you know, you're not guaranteed what type of footing. Well, if True. your horse has been used and is, he hasn't been, you know, his proprioception is only used to really good footing, then that actually puts more stress on them right. when they're running on, you know, ground that's a bit harder or ground mm-hmm. that's rutty. Or, so it, it, it's a tough one. There's many people that would argue differently with me. <laughs> yeah, but, but that's a really you know, good point. People are always like, oh, Europeans have so much better ground, you know, it's not hard. And I'm like, Yeah, I completely disagree with that. (laughs) Wow. Like they have just as varied footing as we, you don't know what you're getting, Mm -hmm. you know, whether it's really wet or whether it's hard or, you know, a lot of their competitions are still on, you know, the whole show jumping and dressage is still on grass, you know, they don't have. True brings with decent footing these days
0: so yeah that's a really good point well Emma thank you so much for taking the time to come on the podcast I love chatting with you and I think we seriously do need to have another episode because I think people would love to hear about all the stuff in your grooming box
1: (laughs) (laughs) We definitely a few on those (laughs) Uh, thank you very much for having me and uh, hopefully people enjoy it